Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Yo, what is happening, my friend? This is Brad Wilson, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com, and welcome to another episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. Six years ago, professional poker players Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy uploaded their first videos onto YouTube as the quote-unquote Hand of the Week guys. Little did they know, Hand of the Week had been trademarked by a former Chasing Poker Greatness legend of poker who wasn't exactly a big fan of their brutally honest pull-no-punches analysis. They quickly decided to change the name of their show, and The Poker Guys was born shortly thereafter. In the following conversation, we're going to go through their journey from professional poker players to prolific content creators who have amassed almost 30,000 YouTube subscribers, as well as a consistently top-ranked poker podcast. You're going to learn why verbal and physical tells are extremely difficult for amateur poker players to fake, why the poker guys initially heeded the siren song to transition from players to teachers, their process for content creation, which I am personally very envious of, and much, much more. So if you love laughing like maniacs and hearing amazing behind-the-scenes stories from a couple of poker's best storytellers, strap in and get ready to enjoy my conversation with Grant Dennison and Jonathan Levy. The Poker Guys, welcome to the show. How are y'all doing? Brad, thanks for having us. We are good and we're happy to be on your show. You're a pretty new show. Congratulations on the new show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's way more work. Uh, no, it's about, about as much work as I anticipated. Well, that sounds, that sounds good, I guess. I, I don't guess know. I'll, that's I'll, take, good. I'll take that if, if that's my anticipation for a job, but you know, I'd prefer less. Yeah, I, uh, I had a podcast before and I've created a bunch of content. And so my general rule is that imagine how easy you think it's going to be and then multiply that by like 100. And that's... Oh how it ends up being. So that now sounds like a terrible situation that you're in. <laughs> if it's as much as you thought it was going to be. Sorry to hear that. Yeah. Such is life, right? Maybe Such consider a chess podcast in the future. I don't know. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that would be, that'd be a very basic uh, podcast that maybe meant for like one and a half year olds. Well, that, I mean, there's plenty of those. I mean, you had Jen Shahadi on at one point, right? She could always help out. Anyway. She could help out. <laughs> Not me, though. So let's get this started. Tell me the y'all's origin story. How did the poker guys come together? How did y'all meet and decide to do this thing? Uh, well, there are municipal laws where we live, Portland, Oregon, that allow for poker clubs to exist with uh, pretty poker-friendly and player-friendly fee structure, which is actually really great. And we play at those, and we met each other as like two of the only competent players there about what, six or seven years ago. What does a poker club mean? It means it is a place of business that is entirely for playing poker, and they have food service and stuff too, but there's no other gambling except for 
state-run lottery machines sometimes. It's a little bit like if, if any, you or any of your uh, listeners have been to Bay 101, which is like they only play cards at Bay 101, but, and they have food and service and things like that, and that's it. The, difference, the only real difference really in Portland is that there's no rake. So it's way better in every way. There's a $15 daily fee you pay once, and that's it. So poker yeah. is legalized there, though. It's a it's a relative gray area. Um, it's Ugh, it's effectively area. legal because of the way things are enforced. Um, where these clubs run and they run, you know, they don't. We don't get huge games. We get up to five ten, but five ten doesn't happen that frequently. We do have some medium sized tournaments. You know, at, at at biggest, we get sometimes like a five hundred dollar tournament that'll have three hundred players. Type of thing is about as big as it gets. But of course, with the whole rake system it's pretty great for the players if it's a $500 tournament with a $15 door fee or playing 2-5 all night for a $15 total rake yeah so these are the that's the environment uh, at the most popular club at the time in Portland Jonathan and I met and you know struck up a conversation is like hey you don't seem like a person who doesn't know anything about <laughs> poker and from there we decided with a third friend who we also respect in poker to start a poker coaching business which is now you know, really, really a back burner thing that we only do if requested. Uh, we started a podcast in order to initially promote the poker coaching business. We started the videos to promote the podcast. Um, we were initially called Hand of the Week. And then we had a bit of a run-in with Phil Helmuth where he didn't like one of the hands we analyzed of his. And uh, What do you had- mean? Go, I need more. need you okay. to dive more in that. Sure. Um, I wonder if we could even find the it, conversation. It was. Oh, yeah, we probably could. It was the hand from uh, the big game, right? Where he was. Uh, he had. He was up. He had. To- he had aces up, and he whatever. He like flopped aces up. I think he had ace five, and uh, bet in the, on the on the river. The um, the the loose cannon made the nuts with the Broadway, and it was really obvious because Phil bets and the loose cannon gives all this very obvious. If you know anything at all about tells, which Phil does in theory, who's kind of saying, I'm not going to let you push me around anymore, Phil. I can't let you keep pushing me around. And then went all in like for a lot more. And Phil ended up calling with two pair in a spot where he's just always beat a million times out of a million. And I, it's, it was shocking that he called. So we said what we thought that we thought that it was a bad call. And Phil didn't seem to like that. Yeah. He, and uh, he started, he followed us on Twitter and we were like, oh, we made it. We finally yeah. <laughs> made it. Phil Hummuth is following us on Twitter, but it was just to DM us. To DMS threats, basically. Yeah, he said, he, he, <laughs> basically, the conversation started with him saying, I own the trademark for Hand of the Week. This is my intellectual property. And, you know, it kind of went from there where we're asking what he was proposing. And he's basically telling us that he's going to sue us. He didn't actually explicitly say he was going to sue us, but he said he didn't want to, like, dig up documentation and have his lawyer look into it and, and find it. That's our job, etc. It kind of inspired us to think, well, Hand of the Week isn't really a great name for us anyway because we're trying to do other stuff as well. So we came up with the name The Poker Guys. That's, yeah. That's the origin story of the name, at least. <laughs> and the, so the, did you take the hand down? Does that hand still exist? Oh, it's out there for sure. Oh, yeah, sure. no, it's still there. Do, it's, you know what, do you remember what it's called? I think it's called Mount Helmuth Erupts. Yes, for that anybody is who what wants it's to called. Find it, yeah. That's right, because he gets so upset. He immediately starts berating the dealer yeah. for not putting out a club because he would have not lost any money, according to Phil, if a club came out because the flush would have come in. Um, but instead, he lost, you know, like $70,000 on the river because it was a non-club, even though it was 100% he was beat. And 
any reasonable pro, I think, would, would have known that. Any like reasonable high, high-end pro would know that. I think we're about to get some more Twitter DMs from <laughs> Phil Hummuth after we this do. podcast oh, so comes out. So yeah, you, you guys don't know, but he, he's actually come on my podcast, too. That episode isn't released yet. So mm. oh, cool. <laughs> I need to reserve my opinion. Uh, <laughs> no, yeah. We don't expect you to, to give any opinion. <laughs> and, you know, we, we respect Phil's game a lot in a lot of ways, especially his tournament game. But, you know, at times he has his moments that are less Quite flattering questionable phil, i mean now here we go uh, i mean phil phil does some things very well and does and does some things very poorly and the things he does well works well against the amateur fields that he is really good at beating um in fairness to him like he makes them play differently against him in these big field tournaments like the world series of poker you know the 1500 buy-ins or whatever he is really good at manipulating people to you know be more polarized and be in play face up and that's impressive that he needs through his his you know, speech and temperament, all that I think is designed to do that. Also, he can't control his emotions, but that's a sec- separate piece. But he also makes, to be fair, a lot of big tr- mistakes that you know, the elite players don't make. And I think you know, that's why we don't see him playing in the, the biggest, the truly biggest events. I mean, we don't play in those things either. Don't get me wrong. Like, we're not at that level, but neither is Phil. And th- that's okay. I mean, he's, he's won more bracelets than anyone. He's probably the most well-known poker player in the world. He's done an incredible job. Um, marketing himself, you know, which I'm, is I'm super, impressed. which is probably why he's uh, trying to find ways to make us take down videos that make him not look amazing. <laughs> yeah, because he he protects his brand, and you know, even though I think it was a thinly veiled threat, the intellectual property thing. There's also something to the intellectual property. I mean, I don't think you can actually own intellectual property mm-hmm. on something called Hand of the Week. Who cares? Either it's, way, it's very general. And, in fairness to him, he did not actually ask us to take down the video. He did not. He just was talking about the 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 name hand of the week. He so. never he never mentioned the video. It just happened that he DM'd us the day after it came out. Yeah, That's, yeah. Well, <laughs> I I guess so. For for those of you listening, for the poker strategy aspect, I, I want to say this first and foremost: if an amateur player starts talking and then shoves, they got the nuts. Like this is for first and foremost. I do want to say that was nine years ago. So, you know, it may be a different Phil Helmuth, uh, that's roaming around today, but even still nine years ago, dude starts talking and shoves it in, get the fuck out of Dodge because they got it. I mean, especially how they talk is matters too. Right. And so what this guy was giving reasons for why he was shoving, which were not about his hand strength. Right, almost implying that it isn't. It isn't. I'm not shoving because my hand is strong. I'm shoving for all these other reasons, which an amateur really never does shove for other reasons, except uh, you know a bluff. Which why would you bluff and then explain that you're bluffing? Basically, is what she's doing. He's um he's weakening his range, which you know of course the very best players in the world can double and triple reverse this talk kind of stuff. But the amateurs aren't doing that. It's tough, man. I mean, so coming from a podcasting world, right? Like asking questions. There's a lot to it in that. When I ask you guys a question and I hear your voice raise a little, I can tell there's some excitement there, right? And that's an area we need to dive deeper into. And you can do the same thing playing live cards. Like you can tell when somebody's has energy, like anxious energy and they're talking. And then when somebody's just, you know, off the rails and they're nervous talking, like there's, there's a major, major difference there. And I used to do a thing and like there used to be this tell, right? Where you bet the river, it's a large bet. You have your cards and you start goading somebody to call, you like grab your cards and like hold them over the muck, you know? And forever it was like a tell of extreme strength. Like nobody's ever bluffing when they do that. So I got it in my head that I was going to do it as a bluff. And like, 
I, I bluffed. I grabbed my, my cards, held them over the muck, and I'm not shitting you. It was so hard. Like it was so against my nature and everything that I wanted to do to do that. And this is somebody that's been playing cards for like, you know, a decade at that point. So somebody that has limited experience, they're just not going to be very well giving off reverse tells and jumping into that battleground. Like it's very, very hard. Yeah. I mean, was it also a little bit hard because it's kind of a dick move and you didn't want to be a dick? No, like, that, that had nothing to do with it. Okay. <laughs> it was the, I, there, I was not concerned about that at all. I th- it was against another pro, so whatever. Oh, okay. I don't think it's a dick move anyway. It's all gamesmanship, and it's, it's a game of deception. You're supposed to be trying to confuse the other player uh, and get him to do the wrong thing. I'm just trying to make everybody love me. Well, you're I'm doing <laughs> a great job. Thanks. <laughs> Coming on my show and calling me a dick. Yeah, gonna, really. I yeah. mean, it's been like seven minutes, dude. <laughs> no, I, I said it was a, a dick move, not that you're a dick. Yeah, right. You know, it's a different thing. <laughs> It makes it, it makes it marginally more likely that you're a dick, but it doesn't mean for sure that you are, obviously. This is what I have to deal with every day. <laughs> every day. Yeah. Get prepared for all of your Hand of the Week videos to be coming down in a week. I'm emailing <laughs> Phil, Phil Helmuth right after this. You're yeah. done. That's fair. I mean, it's all fair. <laughs> okay. So we got the Hand of the Week. We got threatened by Phil Helmuth and his intellectual property. Then what? We kind of sat down and brainstormed for a second and came up with the name, the poker guys, because I don't know. I just said it and it was like, this sounds dumb and simple, but if nobody has it, shouldn't we just have this name? I mean, yeah, I think he's more asking about what ha- the origin of the poker guys, oh. not the name anymore. Oh, that's my guess. <laughs> that makes uh, a lot more sense. I, yeah, we, I do want to ask a question though. You yeah. said it sounds dumb and simple and then you stuck with it. Like, what is that? Where's, what does that reflect on y'all? Go uh, ahead. Go ahead. Well, <laughs> What you're implying is true. We are dumb and simple, but uh, no, I, I think what it is, is like in marketing, people often get too far into the depths of what they're trying to explain to whatever their target audience is. And they don't really understand that a more general name can be a lot more, you know, friendly crowd facing. Yeah. Sort it, of. And, it was actually rhetorical grant. Oh, but. <laughs> fair enough. This kid is really having a tough day. Uh, so anywho, uh, so Grant and I, yeah, we started making those videos, as Grant was saying, to um, sort of promote and, and add to the podcast. And the videos started taking off. Uh, and it, it got to the point where we were getting so many views on the videos that I remember just writing to you every, like, I text Grant every two weeks and say, I don't know, I know I always say this, but our channel's blowing up again. And, you know, there was a little while there when we were really hot yeah there was, was there was a fun. time when the the youtube algorithm was suggesting us a lot yeah. for anybody who wanted uh poker because i think at the time that that was happening that was when we were kind of the only game around as far as poker analysis videos that yeah. was this, uh this was five years ago right yeah yeah i think the real blow up was 2016 mm-hmm. so yeah um about four years ago when we really started to get some big views and then, you know, the, the area got a lot more crowded after that. As we all know, we've seen Doug Polk videos, etc. Dan and Negreanu. Yeah. So we were happy to be part of that trend, though, you know, that got the poker analysis videos to become a thing. What was y'all's plan once y'all started blowing up? Like, what, what were those conversations like as far as doing this for a living? Were you still playing cards? I had been... Pl- so both of us were uh, professional poker players. And I was playing three days a week. And in January of 2016, I was having a perfect... I had a good 2015. I was having a good January. And I remember sitting at the table and thinking, you know what? I am done. Like, I don't want to play anymore right now. Like, I don't know how long this is going to last, but I just feel done. Um, so I just stopped playing. And Any decided reason? to focus. 
I just felt burnt out. I didn't like, I didn't, I, the game was not interesting to me for a while. Like I didn't like being at the table. Like I just had played at that point. I'd been playing for 13 years and just felt like I didn't need to. And I'd been playing, you know, for the last seven or eight years at that point, I'd probably been playing, you know, many, many times a week, you know, multiple times a week, usually, you know, three, three days a week live and then online also, you know, for lots of other times. And I just didn't want to play anymore. And so I just gave myself permission to not play as for as long as I wanted. So I started focusing even more on the channel, which was doing okay, but not crushing it yet. And then it's sort of like we are the rise of the channel coincided with my taking time off. I don't, I think that's more coincidence than anything else. But then we started getting sponsorships. I didn't really have a plan though, that like we were going to get all these sponsorships and everything was going to work out. But we started getting some, I think we reached out to a few places and it ended up being a little more lucrative than we thought. And so then we was like, oh, this can be a, an actual path. Yeah, I was less of a hard stop on poker. I, I still wanted to play poker and I was happy continuing to play poker for a living. And I didn't have a true plan personally. I just was thinking, hey, if this starts to generate some income, that wouldn't hurt, you know? So let's keep doing it because it's fun and, and we, we, we enjoy doing it. So especially the podcasting is really fun. Um, so we might as well keep doing it. And we, you know, did a little stuff, a little bit of groundwork to reach out to sponsors, like Jonathan said. And, and that's been a real like surprise how, how good the sponsorship has been for us. Uh, we've, we've really been lucky over the years with that. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the whole thing. Nothing more to say there. Um, good show guys. Good show. Yeah. And, um, and just to be clear, like, so I, I took about six months off from playing poker and, uh, I then I play poker again now, but I don't. But now I see that as sort of my side, my side piece, and uh, really the the videos and the podcasts and the poker guys is is what I do. Yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, sometimes taking a month off without playing any poker, always making a pilgrimage to the series every year, though. Of course, that is a must, and you know, little other side trips throughout the year. But yeah, I would say at this point, both of us might consider ourselves semi-professional poker players yeah. who have a kind of a day job type of thing, yeah, which I, is the poker guys. I play like probably once, one to two times a week at this point. Probably closer to one than two even. I think it's ideal. Like I love, the, I love creating content and releasing content more than I love playing poker. I've, I'm like, you guys, I've been playing cards since 2004. Uh, sole source of income. Uh, there, you know, I've you know, played millions of hands after, you know, 5,400,038th hand, it, it can get a little monotonous, right? And the learning process, the, the learning how to grow a YouTube channel, how to create content, um, how to do a good job, how to edit, all these things are appealing. It's sort of like a puzzle. And um, DGAF, who's also been on my show, I know he's a big proponent of play poker as a hobby, generate alternative streams of income while you're playing cards to protect yourself. I think these are probably things that are fairly necessary. If you play poker as a career today, what are your, what are y'all's thoughts? I think that it depends on the person. I think some people really do just like have no end to their their love for the game of poker and just want to gobble up every minute of poker that they possibly can and are successful at doing so and are just very happy with that life. I think for who, uh, you know, I, I feel like I know a couple people. Like, there's some, there's like, for example, there's a 510 cash game pro in our uh, weekly stream game. Goes by Wonka on the show. He's uh, one of Portland's like best cash game pros. And he seems to always be wanting to play poker, always taking poker trips, always, you know, just trying to find the best game possible and never seems to burn out on it. 
But in fairness, he's only been playing professionally for about four years too. So true that that matters. I think because like I think four years in, I had no, I had no a big motor to play a lot, and it really there's a point though where on okay, here's here's the downside of playing poker professionally, right? Like it's a soulless occupation. Like you're not helping people, you're not doing anything, you're not really bringing any joy into the world any more than you would otherwise be doing. You're you're actually taking money from other people, <laughs> um, and and you're taking money from some people who are um, you feel fine doing that. But then other times I would you know be at the table and watch people reach into their pockets time and time again and bring out more and more money, and I would be a little concerned about them, you know. And that's a weird space to be in, and you know, and there's sort of a predatory aspect I think to being a professional poker player where you pick the tables you're trying to play at because of certain players who are there. And like, those are the guys who are more likely to lose. Now they're going to lose anyway. So you could sort of say like, well, someone's going to sell the drugs to the kids. It might as well be me. Um, and I think that's not, it's not wrong to be, to have that mindset or anything like that. I think it's reasonable and optimal even if you're going to do it. But for me anyway, after a number of years of, of thinking that way and living that way, it just got less interesting, less fun. And like, is this really how I want to be spending my time? And I don't know how many people like you're saying, uh, Brad, can do like the serious full-time poker thing for like 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. I think there's a point for almost everybody anyway, where they just, they just need to step away from it. Almost everybody. Yeah, I agree with that. I also, and not just the predatory nature of the game, but also the swinging nature of the game. I mean, like when your sole source of income is poker, I'm sure you know, Brad, when you go on a month and a half downswing, it hurts a lot more than a downswing if you have other income coming in. And I think it, can take a lot of the joy away from the game if you feel like you're relying upon it versus if you feel like you can kind of have fun with it some of the time. Yeah, it's uh, it, it can be a struggle. And just to play devil's advocate, though, I will say that I think on this show, uh, this this is a topic that's been talked about over and over and over again from my guests. This the value that poker gives people that you know going to the casino, etc. And one of the things that's been mentioned is. You know, imagine somebody has a bad home life, right? They play cards as a hobby. They go to the casino. They get away. It's a that even win or lose, they don't really care about the money so much. But it's the camaraderie. Um, I do think that getting together with a group of people in a social atmosphere is a net positive for folks. So one of the major things that I, of course, preach, um, especially as like a longtime cash game pro, is you know, if you're a pro, be entertaining to the people that are in the game be outgoing, talk to people, socialize, never talk shit, you know, uh, unless there are obviously circumstances where you talk shit, right? Like if a pro is like berating the whale, then yeah, of course do that. Or if there's, you know, sexist, racist, all these things, you know, step up and, and be a dick. But for the most part, be a fun guy. Like when you come up to the table, like I've never hidden the fact that I'm a poker professional probably pretty hard just based on how I've looked <laughs> like 23 year old kid in sweatpants comes up to a poker table. Like you automatically think, right. But ne- I never hide it. Just try to be outgoing and helpful and-, and talk to people and create relationships. I think that's a major, major, major part of live poker. It's part of the gig. It's part of the job description, especially if you want to make it playing live because you need friendships. You need people to go out with. You need uh, to meet your own poker guy <laughs> to, uh, you know, just to bounce ideas off of. That's half the fun. I 100% agree with that. Um, and I think there's two parts to what you're saying there that are both kind of different. Like the first aspect is, I think, 
as the pro, I agree with you 100% that it is part of your job to, to create a good environment at the table. But again, if you're playing poker for a living and that's all you're doing, that's just an additional burden in some ways. Like some days you just don't want to be on and you a little bit have to anyway. Or you can be quiet that day and, and I guess that's okay. But then it feels like you're not entirely doing your whole job, you know, which is to help support the poker economy in whatever place you are, along with supporting yourself. To your second point about finding people to talk poker with, I think that is hugely important to staying interested in the game is to find people that you find intelligent and strategically interesting and and able to have conversations with you that are on your level or higher. That's hugely important. I agree with that for sure. I guess um, just coming back to the first point too about sort of being one of the life of the party, the life of the party personality at the table, at least one of them, you know, be friendly and engaging and things like that. I certainly agree that that's part of being a poker professional or should be anyway. It isn't for everyone, but it should be. But part of it, I guess, still comes down to sort of like what your mindset is as you're doing it, right? Because you can be done from a point of view of really wanting to engage with people and genuinely like enjoying talking to people. That's one way it can go. And for a lot of people, and I like our friend Wonka actually plays 510, the 510 Cash Game Pro Grant was talking about, is like that. He's just a super friendly guy and loves talking to people and is really outgoing in all the, all the greatest ways. But I definitely see other guys who will do that, but they're doing it just for the sake of keeping the whales at the table. And it, and it comes back to a more predatory mindset. So I, I think it's part of it is really... Yeah. yeah. So I, I think it really comes down to what your intention is as you're doing it. And the more you enjoy people, the more, the more it's going to be genuine. And, and Here's the way I try, I try to frame it, like in my mind. So anybody that's playing high-stakes poker that has a lot of disposable income typically is an interesting person. Like they have a story, they're really good at something in life. And so I frame it from a perspective of curiosity. Like who's this person? What are they really good at? Um, Let's talk about them. Like I think if you frame it from a curious perspective, then it's not cringeworthy. They're talking about themselves and that's good for everyone. And to go back to like, you know, um, to what Grant said, of course there are sessions where I've played like absolute dog shit and I'm at 30% of 100% of my capability, right? So even from a playing perspective, you can't be on all the time. But it's just about the mindset and trying to do your best session in and session out. And really, you know, that's good enough for me at the end of the day. I can, I can go to sleep uh, accepting of that knowledge. That sounds reasonable. Yeah. Um, but it does sound like you do want to have poker be a side gig though, right, Brad? You want it not to necessarily be the entire thing that you do? 1,000% for sure. I mean, I live in Atlanta, Georgia, and you would not believe the amount of hassle it is for me to even get money and off of a poker site or to, you know, the ignition, right? Like I'm hearing lots of things about ignition right now and VPNs and all kinds of stuff doesn't make me feel good about it. I have never felt good about ACR and I never will feel good about ACR. Global poker, don't feel good about that. Like I'm in a dead zone and I have no casino around me. So it's like it, the hassle of just simply withdrawing and depositing on a site, it, it's like, it's so annoying that I would much rather create content, help people out than play cards. Um, you're, you're just teeing us up so well. It's impossible not to bring this up. Feel free to cut this out if this isn't appropriate for right, your go show. For it. Um, so our sponsor is an online poker site where people don't have this kind of issue. Like we get you get your money out in 90 minutes. We we do it all the time because they pay us through there. Um, and it's all it's all Bitcoin based. So that's so that's um, a potential 
I guess, wall for some people, but um, it's nitrogen is, is our, and we, if you're interested, we could send you a link, you could check it out. Um, but we've, we've worked with them for three years and like people never have trouble getting money on or off that place, which is pretty awesome. Now they don't have a lot of, they have some cash game stuff, but it's relatively low stakes. So they don't, they don't have all, it isn't like a, some of these other places where there's a lot more games going on. They have some lower stakes, no limit stuff. And I think that's mostly it on nitrogen. Mostly it. Yeah. For poker. Yeah. That's a problem. <laughs> not having, not having the bigger stakes is a problem. Yeah, sure. Um, but just, just to go back to the point, like in the United States, unfortunately here we are nine years, close to nine years after black Friday and there's still not much clarity. And if you're in a dead zone, it just sucks and you have to eat the risk and you got to take your chances, you know, battling on Chinese apps or whatever it is that that you can get action on. It's just the way of the world. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I can't believe it's been so long since Black Friday. It just blows my mind to think about that. When 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 it happened, I think I probably mentally set the over under at two years before it came back, and uh, that was that was a bad bad line apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is super weird that it's still like this in this country. It's just, I guess we're getting really close now, though. Like both what DraftKings and FanDuel have sports betting in a bunch of states now, and there's apps for it. I feel like I've been saying this for years too, but I feel like it's right around the corner where poker's got to be online poker's got to be legal everywhere again soon, I right? Think you said that to me in 2014. I probably did. <laughs> I probably did. It always, it just always makes sense. Like, why would I don't understand why the governments are turning down all this free money, basically when people are going to gamble anyway. Like, why wouldn't you get your piece of it? It's just odd to me. Well, I mean, it all went down. Uh, you know, I'm from Tennessee. Tennessee Senator is the one that started all this, Bill Frist, in 2006 with UIGEA. And Tennessee just legalized sports betting, which is outrageous to me that they, they have a lottery and they have sports betting, but not poker. Like, come the fuck on, guys. What are y'all doing? But yeah, it was a lame duck senator who got it passed. And then everything kind of went downhill from there. And, and like, it doesn't make sense. It's very ridiculous, but it's the facts of life right now. Yeah. Yeah. Sad times. Sad, sad times. Nine, nine sad years. But whenever it does, <laughs> whenever it does come back, it's going to be great. Oh man, there's going to be, be so there, juicy. There might be another moneymaker style boom if it comes back for real. I think it's possible. I still remember the party poker days of, you know, 2003, four, five, six, seven, and just being like i mean it was basically free money it felt like you know like i didn't i wasn't that good i was just i was but i was i read like a few poker books and i was good enough to make like i was i sort of transitioned to being a poker professional because everyone else was just so bad not everyone but you know the vast majority of the fields were so bad yeah let's just hope for that to come back that would be great that would be cool it's very doubtful that it comes back that way but a huge influx of more recreational players i think is pretty obvious and going mm-hmm. going to happen Okay, let's let's move back on to the poker guys. So, in y'all's five years together, any epic failures? Any? Well, the one that first comes to mind for me is we made a video about a Sam Trickett hand. It was probably three years ago, um, where we started off by saying, "Internet, we've seen all your tweets. We know you think Sam Trickett is bluffing here on the river, but we are sure he is value betting, and here's why." And we did a whole video about it. We're pretty arrogant. Yep. And Sam Trickett himself <laughs> tweeted at us and said, guys, I was bluffing. Uh, and we had a back and forth with him on Twitter, like a very friendly back and forth. And we ended up making a, um, a sort of come to come home video, sort of like saying, okay, so we were wrong about everything. Here's the, here's the tweets that Sam sent us. 
here's why we thought what we did, but and here's how arrogant we were. We'll show you some some clips of us being so sure of ourselves and being wrong. Um, to me, that's the most obvious sort of. I mean, I it ended up being great. Yeah, but it was but it was some of the most obvious like stumble. I think that in is my mind, that is our most public failure. Yeah. The other failures are not as interesting. It's kind of like you you maybe have been in this boat with doing audio stuff, Brad. But just like we've probably spent over. $1,500, on audio equipment that we never use because we just like got the wrong stuff. And audio is hard. You, you know, it's, there's, so, there's so much involved in it. And like we're trying to do different types of videos and, and find different sets for our videos. And we've just like kind of thrown money at it and failed to actually... We have like $400 pieces of equipment just sitting around that we don't use because we have no use for them. So that's another bit of a failure on our part. Yeah, that's always the first question when people want to get into podcasting. They ask me, what kind of mic do you have? I'm like, I have like a $50 Amazon mic that just is what it is and to me does a good enough job that I don't want the incremental improvements or the extra complexity because I'm a fa- like I'm a fairly simple person. <laughs> when, when you introduce tons of complexity, uh, it's going to fall apart for me. Yeah, and if you're trying to do audio in, in different rooms and different settings, like we were trying to find like a big room to, to be farther away, man... It's tough, but this is not interesting stuff to talk about at all. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not st- even close. I'm going <laughs> to definitely stop talking about that now. Let's talk about explosions or something. You know, maybe poker. <laughs> maybe talk about poker rather than audio equipment, Grant. I don't know. I'm just putting it I out don't know. there. Let's, so let, let's see if we can have any more interesting stories. So let's imagine that me, you guys, DGAF, Robbie Straczynski, Jennifer Shahadi, Sky Matsuhashi, were sitting around a campfire swapping poker podcasting stories what stories would y'all y'all tell? That's a tough one. I guess the the first thing that comes to mind, and I can't even tell you all of this story because it's going public. But the, there's been multiple times in our five years where we're recording a podcast, and I'm always trying to be the funny guy. Grant's trying to be funny too, though. But I like <laughs> push push the line sometimes and say things that are right on the edge and. I've definitely gone over the edge multiple times where Grant immediately looks at me, throws down his mic, is very annoyed, stops the recording, and says, Well, we have to erase that. We can't use that. You know, that's very offensive. You know, um, at least three times, I would say, over the last yeah. five years that's happened. And um, so I, I can't even say what those things are now. But if we were just at a campfire, I might, I might mention one of the two things that I said. But th- to me, that's those are the Come things. Come on, Jonathan. Just. Show us where the bodies are buried. I don't know do if you it. can say it. It's I got to protect the brand. Yeah, it's, it's, it's actually true. It's like too much. It's too offensive, the things that he said. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. It's not that bad. But uh, okay, it's, but it's like if it's, it's the type it's of thing that line. somebody could take a soundbite and that could become your whole life. I know. You know like it's one of those types of things. <laughs> I got to dance around this one. I'm sorry. I know. I know. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. So make all of your wild speculation, please, because that, that's probably far worse than reality yeah um, whatever the speculation is is 100 percent gonna be worse it's true i'm gonna i mean i feel like now i have to like no nope. couch no nope. no just let it be okay let it lie no another um slightly fun podcast story we've we've tried a couple of side podcasts that aren't poker because we enjoy talking about sports and movies etc so we've tried different iterations of sports podcasts i just think it's kind of fun the first iteration was called drunk sports and it was where we would sit down. Jonathan wouldn't drink anything. But over the course of uh, about an hour and a half podcast where we had breaks, I would drink eight to 10 beers. So I would start sober and end pretty drunk on the podcast. Yeah. And it was kind of a wacky podcast, but it didn't get any traction. The only other thing I can really think of that stands out as like a podcasting type story or video type story is we made we once did a video and podcast about Phil Ivey and a hand against Doc Sands. 
Um, people who watch all the poker will remember this one. They were in a, they were in a high roller. There were like five left. And Phil Ivey check raised the turn and Doc Sands went all in and Phil Ivey did not know what to do. With a combo draw. Yeah, with a combo draw. And, and James Hardigan is doing the commentary and saying, I can't believe Phil Ivey doesn't know what to do here. And Phil Ivey just sits there really unclear with five high if he's supposed to call or not. And eventually calls and loses and is, and is out. It was six high, but whatever. And so we made this whole video uh, sort of like saying like, Phil Ivey kind of screwed up here because this is actually a really clear, whatever it was, fold. I think it was fold based on the math. And we, we explained all the math and all this. And j- like the day before we were going to release it, I watched the video one last time and realized that we had the math wrong. And actually, Phil was in a spot where he was truly indifferent to calling or folding. He was just fine. And we had to can everything, like throw it all out and make new videos and podcasts that day to go out the next day. Yeah, that, that would have been... That would have been really little, bad for us. A little us. embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, really, really bad for us to get the math completely wrong on, on that. So Was it a tourney spot or a cash game yeah, spot? Yeah, it was yeah, a it was- tourney spot. It was. Okay. So he was getting, you know, he was, there was one card to come. He was getting two to one and he had, you know, like six high, but with the combo draw. And it was mostly a chip EV spot because I think the bubble had just burst and the ICM was yeah. was negligible almost compared to, you know, the top three prizes. So, yeah. when, so you could make a case that, you know, Phil Ivey made a mistake, but the only mistake is he should have bet more or less when he raised so that we had an obvious decision instead of being completely in no man's land. But... Yeah, he did nothing wrong. We we did the we were wrong. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so yeah, so we saved. I like we caught that and made a different video instead. But that that's about it. We don't really have good stories. No, nah. like, you we, do. Just, you just keep them to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Selfishly, we, we just sit around. The thing that we like to do is we sit around and we we do these podcasts, which our podcast, by the way. Um, so it's forty five minutes long, and we do usually, and we we talk about one hand. We just we just analyze one hand that elite players are playing against each other and get into all the nooks and crannies of it. And we do that twice a week. And, uh, but the first seven minutes or so are usually just us screwing around, making jokes, making fun of whoever suggested the hand because our, our followers will suggest hands for us to do. And then sometimes we'll do fake ads. We'll just talk about, you know, the River of Salsa restaurant, Mexican restaurant and how it runs all the way through all the tables and you can just, and how clean it is and tasty. We'll just do stuff like that and get way, way, way afield. And that happens, I would say, every fourth podcast episode or something like that. Yeah, we get weird. We get weird. Yeah. It's good. Grant, actually, the most recent podcast we did, Grant was talking about sleeping on a bed of Doritos. Like, no sheets, (laughs) nothing, just Doritos. Yeah, it's a poker poker podcast, (laughs) to be clear. (laughs) So we do that a lot. So most of our stuff just gets recorded and it's all one take with us, you know, and like we never... No editing? Except that those three times, yeah, we, we never stop anything. We just roll. Or if there's an audio issue, but other than that, yeah, we don't really we don't go through with a fine tooth comb. We just let it lie, you yeah. know. And you guys live dangerously. I, I don't. I, I don't have the self belief in myself to not edit these things hmm. because, uh, yeah. We think for us, the unfiltered nature of our conversations is is one of the major appeals of our yeah our brand and our podcast. So we're. It's also a way to be lazy, so you know it all works out for us. <laughs> it's great on every yeah. level, Brad. Yeah, um, we uh, a big part. Of, we think we think anyway. So our podcast will get something like between ten and fifteen thousand listens over the course of a year each episode, and we think our sort of hardcore listeners, of which you know there are many. I mean, whatever thousands. Uh, they are in it. We think not really just for the poker analysis, but for us screwing around and making fun of each other and and them well they better be right weird stuff they better be because we're doing a lot of that and you know and there are people who really don't like that part of it and will tell us and we sort of say there are other podcasts for you bro like what's the meanest thing somebody's told you 
Um, there is one particular guy who really hates Jonathan. Oh, hates who's me recently so much. been commenting on all, every one of our poker time videos, which is our like live stream. That's not actually live, but it's like a cash game that we do commentary on. And I can't remember and be tough to find in a pinch, right. but like he, he really, really despises Jonathan. The, the gist of it is <laughs> any person who's ever played poker would be better to pair with Grant than me because Grant really understands the game and I have no idea what's going on, basically, right? He says stuff like that. Which, but he keeps watching all the videos and commenting on them. So I think it's a win. Which I disagree with, by the way, to your credit, Jonathan. <laughs> oh, yeah. thanks. That is, not that it's a win, but that no, my, my qualification. Yeah, you actually, you're not, you're not a big dumb idiot like that guy thinks. I try not to be. <laughs> Or as big of a dumb idiot yeah, yeah, as yeah, that yeah, guy yeah. thinks, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've been called everything. But, you know, I think... Playing poker online, I learned that I... I mean, I got called... I mean, I remember in the old days getting called a moron every single day, no matter what. Playing professional level poker and winning really good money, you know, online every day and like just getting called by people who had no idea what they were doing, calling me morons and stupid and all these things. Morons like four filters down from what was actually said, I'm sure. Yeah. In a lot of cases, (laughs) certainly there's... Yeah. yeah, Unsavory words used on the internet. But yeah, I, I still remember being heads up in, I think it was, I don't know if it was a tournament or a sit and go anymore, but for heads up, the guy had like, I think he had 2.1 blinds and he went all in on the button and I called with seven, eight off suit because he had 2.1 blinds and he had pocket sevens and I won the hand. And as until the, the window closed down, he just berated me for being so stupid and so dumb and such a bad player and all these things. And we're just sitting there thinking, like, I guess it's better just not to correct him. Why would I correct him? You know, like, he's like, let him think that. Like, better for everybody, right? So, is this all to say that you have thick skin now and you can handle the YouTube guy? Mostly I have thick skin (laughs) now, yes. But I mean, we've been called everything. I mean, a classic on YouTube anyway. You know, on YouTube, they're pretty out there. Like, instead of two poker guys, two poker gays is a pretty common one that we used to see a lot for sure. Um, anything else really? I mean, everything, I mean, everything else, all of the like worst words that don't even, oh, yeah. that don't even apply to us. Like just like racial words that are nowhere near us just because people are bad people on the internet. I don't know. The, the worst comment I ever saw though on YouTube for us was someone, um, right after Avengers Endgame came out, like the next day. And I'm a, I was really excited for that movie. They posted like a solid paragraph or two just with all spoilers for the entire thing. So I learned everything about that movie trying not to. And I like, I saw like two or three of them like, Oh God, it's probably, this is probably not a joke. And I like deleted it from our thing. But that is, that is the evilest comment. I didn't even know that. Yeah. It was really not cool. That's that's pretty, really not. I found everyone, (laughs) everyone who died, how they died, the plot, all this stuff. And it was like so many good surprises in theory. I'm still annoyed about that. Why did you keep reading? You just I, couldn't, couldn't help yourself. I, yeah, he's like, you get sucked in. Also, the person was really good about capitalizing just a few words, like you know, the name of the person and dies. And so like, it really <laughs> stood out to me. And yeah. So it was like a real strategic move. It was super smart in its yeah. own way, but really mean. I mean, so either way, though, as far as like taking criticism, I think uh, you probably know this as well, Brad, being a public poker figure, like you, you can engage with with constructive criticism but it's, you're going down a, a slippery slide if you're trying to engage with like just complete trolls it seems like something to avoid in general yeah it's tough i mean negativity bias and all that we get we get drawn to the negative comments more than the positive ones that's just that's yeah. just hu- human nature and yes anonymous human beings on the internet can be douchebags i think that's yeah. pretty well proven over time 
What is up, my loyal Chasing Poker Greatness listener? Coach Brad here, and I just wanted to take a moment to ask you a simple question. How many times have you heard my guests and I speak passionately about the benefits of poker coaching? You get to expand your poker network, receive expert feedback you can rely on, and have your burning questions answered by a trusted mentor. Which brings me to the Poker Power Hour, a series of 100% free live one-hour poker webinars, masterclasses, and hand history breakdowns that kick off each and every Wednesday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Poker Power Hour will be led by me, Coach Brad, as well as some of your favorite Chasing Poker Greatness guests. It will be your weekly guide for helping you plug your leaks, skyrocket your poker growth, expand your network of crushers, and inevitably win more money on the green felt. The Poker Power Hour is premium content and live only. There will be no free replays or view on demand, and the content will eventually be released as paid training only. So head to EnhanceYourEdge.com, opt in to the Poker Power Hour, and get for free today what you'll have to pay for it later. Once again, to catch the Poker Power Hour every single week, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com and join the email newsletter. Now, back to the show. So let's talk about the book. Yeah, let's talk about y'all's book. Tell me about it. What's it about? Why should folks read it? Okay, it's called How Can He Fold? With three question marks. Incredible Poker Hands Broken Down Decision by Decision is the super fun subtitle. We call it a poker book you'll actually read. And we think that's a pretty nice, easy way to describe it because it is us doing our thing kind of. We're, We're breaking down hands through text conversations um, starting with the simplest hands, ending with the most complex hands, so you can kind of ramp up as you go. We think it's a book that you can really enjoy reading, unlike many poker books, which can be hyper-technical. And you know, as Jonathan said on another podcast, there's another side of poker books that can be hyper-anecdotal and not super useful. We think we're trying to kind of bridge the gap and be in between where you can enjoy reading the book and kind of learn by accident as you do and have fun with it. Yeah, there was a point when I used to buy every poker book in the world. And I like, so I, I read several TJ Cloutier books, which were really fun when I was first getting into it. But TJ Cloutier books are basically every story is so, you know, like I had pocket kings and I, you know, checked the jack high flop and the guy bet. So I folded because obviously he had a set and then he showed me a set. Like that's, that's every TJ Cloutier story. Um, so we, so that's like too anecdotal. Like you can't actually use any of that information. And then there's like the super technical books, which I really like, but most people don't get through or struggle to get through um, and aren't fun to read anyway. And we sort of were trying to go for that nice middle road of like fun, easy to read, and also you get stuff from it. And so we have 37 different hands in there with the most famous players in the world. You know, we, ha- we have a Phil Homie hand. We do. Um, it's not Is it the H5 hand? No, 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 but it's still not. He still screws up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a, it's a heads up. It's a heads up uh, championship hand against Annette Oberstad from 2011 or something like that, where he makes a very strange call call on yeah. the river with ba- a, a bad bet and yeah. a bad call. The bet even worse, I think, than call. But anyway, um, yeah. So there's 37 different hands in there. They're all bite sized chapters, like three to five pages each. And there's a summary at the end of each one where it's like, ta- uh, what is it? Key takeaways. Key takeaways. So it's yeah. like two or three points that you can take away from each chapter sort of as a poker learning 
Um, so that way you get stuff from it. It's fun and easy to read. We've gotten really great feedback from right. it so far on it so far too. And we've done our best to uh, inject our podcast style banter into our conversations to try to kind of add to the the flavor of the book, have a little bit more fun with it instead of just talking combos and distribution every other sentence. You know, yeah. And and also unlike a lot of books where it's um, prose, I mean, this is it is prose, but it's us having a dialogue. So it's it says Grant, and then Grant talks. It says something to me, and then I respond. And we're just, so we're talking about each of the big decisions in there, all these different hands. And by prose, you, of course, mean P-R-O-S-E. I do, not yeah, P-R-O-S. As in, as in writing. Um, yeah. yeah, and you can get it at our website, thepokerguys.net. We've got an ebook there, and it can take you to Amazon to get the paperback. Awesome. Do we have a Kindle version out? Yes, we do. We do. You can get it on Kindle as well. Uh, slight warning, the Kindle ebook version is not quite as pretty as the other versions yeah. because of some technical stuff that we don't need to get into. Um, it still looks fine, but we think the book actually turned out looking quite beautiful. We we hired an interior designer. We think she did a great job. And if that matters at all to you, I would say try try to go for the ebook or the paperback instead. What about Audible? This seems like the the easiest, yeah. perfect Audible book. Yes, uh, we are. We have we're, that in the works. Yeah, we're, we're it's in about process. Doing that. Yeah. It's it's uh, it's at least a few months away. I would yeah. say to to being completed. But it, we've we've we're in. We practiced some of it. We've. We've auditioned some people to be sort of the narrator, sort of like describing the hand before we get to our part. So we're, it's, it's going to happen. That's how can he fold three question marks, the poker Incredible guys. Poker hands, broken down decision by decision. <laughs> yes. You would definitely need the subtitle to amplify the title. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what subtitles do, man. That's what <laughs> they do. Trust me, I know. Um, <laughs> Thepokerguys.net. And uh, so let's go, go back into the lightning round real quick here. When y'all think about joy in your career making poker content, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Probably just like laughing uncontrollably while recording a podcast, which has happened many, many times, especially to Jonathan. But like both of us have had just moments where we just get into these fits of laughter and we just don't edit it out. And we just kind of are sitting there just like, how the hell did we get here? What are we talking about? I'm so happy that I get to make money doing this. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. yeah. Like I, there's been, I would guess every year, at least 10 to 15 shows where I can't speak because I'm laughing so hard, but Grant just lets me do that and doesn't interrupt and we don't stop the tape. We just keep it rolling. And, uh, and so there was a point. So I do all the openings to the shows. So I'll do like a 10 to 45 second descriptive opening of, you know, like what's going on in this hand or why this is interesting or something like that. Why Grant? We, why not you? Uh, well, Jonathan is better at that, I think. That's pretty simple. Yeah. I was going to say that too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so whatever, for whatever reason, um, I've been doing, I have a lot of practice now too. It's been five years. So there was a point when I decided to really just do some weird stuff with it. Because, you know, how many times can you say, you know, freaking Matt Burke, he's got a weird decision here. He's got a strange hand in a strange place and, you know, he's getting check raised. What should he do? What would you do? You know, like... It, I, I, at some point, I got bored of doing without, that. Without giving away too many spoilers. Yeah, also, you don't want to give away too much, yeah, right? It's kind of a surprise to me, but it turns out that people don't enjoy spoilers to what happens in the hand, even if they're listening to a hand analysis podcast. They want to yeah. kind of see it unfold. So he if, also if, is trying It to ruins the puzzle for them. It also probably creates some sort of uh, bias in their head when thinking yeah, about agreed. the hand, too. I that's, that's totally true. Totally. That's actually one of the things we always have had to fight with, I think, a little bit is knowing what happens as we're doing the analysis of each hand. Sometimes we're blind to the hand, one of us, as we do it, but usually not. 
But anyway, coming so these openings. So there was a point when I decided to start doing really weird openings where I had Barry Greenstein flying in a spaceship off like Antares Six, which was some moon of something that I made up, and he gets into a laser battle with someone else. It's just the opening. Um, and I don't explain why I'm doing this. And I, and I say, but he's not firing lasers, Grant. He's firing poker chips. And I just, and I burst out laughing and Grant just sort of sat there while I couldn't speak or do anything and just laugh for a solid 10, 15 seconds. And we just make the audience listen to it. And it's either people's favorite or least favorite opening kind of a thing, that type of stuff. You're way better at that than Grant. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, yes. that's, yeah, well, we're not dealing with, you know, high levels of competency with either I one. I mean, of us. openings are not my forte. I've done a few. I, I feel it seems like I can't get the tone right. You know, Jonathan's yeah. got the tone. He, get, he gets the tone right. He gets the exciting tone that's not like overdoing it. So yeah. when I've done it in the past a couple times, I feel like what I do is I, I try to go either like super straight edge and it doesn't come out too too well or too exciting or I I go way over the top and do like a really bad version of of movie trailer guy voice or something and it just ends up clunky and bad. I feel like you're just, you, you're always just trying to nail it a little too much. Yeah. I'm more interested in just like what weird thing can I do? What what am I going to ape? Am I going to I'm going to try Ira Glass from This American Life. I'm going to try to do an opening. How would he do this poker open? I just do that and I don't know how it's going to go. I often fail in the openings, but then I just laugh and and keep going and it that's part of the fun and, and may, that's what makes it good as far as I'm to concerned. To be fair to me here, it could, <laughs> it could also be just experience wins out because Absolutely. you've been doing it a lot more. No question. There is another aspect of the podcast which is reading the actual action of the hand to the audience like and that that job falls on me and i've become pretty good at that because we've done it for five years i'm very bad and there's a few times when jonathan's had to do it or chosen to do it for one reason or another and his tone for the whole podcast completely changes because he's worried about the next time he has to interject he'll like forget to ask questions about the hand he'll just like be basically like narrating what happens in a hand and then the podcast is over unless i were to interject it's true grant at one point said in the middle of a podcast which we did put out there without changing. He said, okay, so this is a point when typically someone would ask me what I think about it, <laughs> what I would do in this situation and why, as opposed to you just talking. And I was like, right, right. That's what you do. That's good. That's yeah. good. There's two of us. I like that. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a delicate balance that we have on the podcast. Yeah. It's like a, it's a fragile ecosystem <laughs> to mix metaphors. You know, it's like a powder keg. It's it just needs a, a, something to make it explode. And then we have to cut it because Jonathan said something offensive or, we went way too off the rails, but you know we managed to walk that tightrope. I'm going to do as many metaphors as I can. Yeah, please in don't ever stop. <laughs> I will say this: um, doing the podcast with Grant is my favorite thing that I do. I think like each each week, like at least in terms of any kind of work or productivity thing. I'm always surprised. We've been doing it for five years. We've done something like 400 of them at this point, something 450, like that. some crazy amount. They never get boring. They never get old. It's always just a blast. It's like just hanging out with your with like such a good friend having just the best time every time. So so to me it's like it's an incredible spot that I, that we get to do this and I get to like do this for a living. I sort of can't believe it. Yeah, it definitely shines through the fun that you guys have together. I can I can certainly see that. I'm shocked at no editing um and the one take thing that's very very impressive. You know, Grant, you could just try to do some openings and, you know, just, just like <laughs> right? press the delete button on them, right? Like you could, so, you could get so, so much practice. Well, we actually, uh, we, we lied a little bit because we have cut and started again when the opening just doesn't go well at all for, for a period of time. And we're like, okay, we have to do that again because the opening was too bad. I mean, but, like seven times. Yeah. Yeah. Seven times in five years. Seven times. I mean, like barely at all. <laughs> 
There's going to be worst days of your life. For the people listening to this right now, there have already been a hundred edits to this episode specifically mm-hmm. on my show. Well, uh, we did um we did a podcast uh, recently, meaning like a podcast interview because we're talking about the book and things like that. So we're we're hitting a few of them, and uh, we were introduced as the most prolific content creators in poker, which we, I had never thought about. But I, well, we put out two podcasts and two videos every week without fail. So, uh, so I guess it's sort of this one take thing really helps us with that. You know, I don't know if we could do it if we were editing everything really closely. It wouldn't, probably wouldn't be possible. Yeah. And I don't know if that's true because there's people yeah, with Jamie like Twitch who do Twitch every day. That's considered yeah. poker content, right? I mean, it's like a little easier, but it's still poker content. But to whatever degree, whatever degree, wherever we land in that firmament, like we're putting out a fair amount of content and it's the, the fact that we're comfortable doing one take really makes it easier it definitely, and more fun. It's a competitive advantage as far as jamming out podcasts, that's for sure. There are times on the podcast where I'll say in the middle of the show, like, are we really going to not cut this? And Grant's like, nope, we're keeping this. Really? Are you sure? We're doing it. Okay. And then we just keep going. I mean, it, it seems to be working. You have you know more than four YouTube followers at this point. Yes. So you seem to be doing pretty well for yourselves. So why mix it up if it's working out? Um, the corollary to the, the last question that was like 45 minutes ago in the live <laughs> yeah. was uh, <laughs> when you think of pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? Uh, well, this is kind of cliche, but it's true. And it's busting the main event. Just It hurts. It really hurts to bust the World Series of Poker main event in, in a way that other tournaments don't hurt. And that is very, very painful. It takes me... I'm really good at getting over losing tournaments at this point because I was mostly a tournament pro when I was playing for a living. And uh, But the main event still takes me at least a couple hours of just like, I am not having a good time right now. What do you, what do you feel? What are the, what's the internal dialogue look like? Uh, well, the first thing in, in most obvious thing is, well, I just lost $10,000. That sucks. You know, that's that's a decent chunk of money to just not have anymore because I ran my kings into aces in this random variance and that that's really, really annoying. And then it's kind of like, could I have done anything different? Is there any way that hand plays out that I don't go bust? Like stuff like that typically is where I go. Yeah, um, for me, it's, it's not too dissimilar. Uh, a few years ago, I had a reasonably deep run in the Millionaire Maker where... On day three, I remember waking up and there were like 108 of us left. And I was like, well, one of us is going to be a millionaire. And like the odds are getting pretty good now. You know, they started with like 9,000 of us. And like, it's kind of cool to have about a 1% chance to be a millionaire. You know, like I kind of like that. And when I busted that about an hour and a half later or something like that, um, I got it in good. I got it in really good. Uh, that was, that was, I think, the roughest bust that I've had maybe in my life. Uh, Getting it in good doesn't help the roughness. Nope, it doesn't. It <laughs> doesn't. Uh, and I remember just like walking around the Rio for, I would say, three hours, just sort of aimlessly, like, you know, wanting to like, just sort of like lightly kicking the, the carpet and feeling like a little kid who, you know, got like sent outside because he was bad, you know, and just like was just down in the dumps and just like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if, what to do with myself. Yeah, I don't What'd know you if you guys have seen Arrested Development. But sure. the, George Michael, whenever bad things happen, he hangs his head and the, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. the little Snoopy music. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's tough. I mean, it's, 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 t- weird. it's tough when you can taste it. Right? When, it's, yeah. when, it's not, when it's not real, you don't really feel it that much. But when you can, ta- when you can see the finish line, yeah. that's, when, that's when it hurts your heart. And it's strange because in some ways, like I won like $9,000 or something like that you know, from that from that tourney, which was a nice amount and obviously an amount I'd be thrilled with going into the tourney. 
you know, it costs $1,500. Like that's a great ROI. I would always, I would always take that. Um, and yet to be so close to real money and miss it, it's like hard to get that close in those kinds of events. You know, there's so many people and it's days of playing and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, oh, bad beat. I'm out. And that's that. It's just, it's a hard thing. Uh, so I interviewed Fedor Holtz. Um, actually, by the time this airs, that interview will have been live. But he had a losing year. I can't remember what year it was, maybe 2014, 2015, when he, he's, he felt like he was at the peak of his powers. And he also felt like he couldn't complain to anybody about having a losing year because he had already – I think he had, at that point he had won like the, the world championship of online poker. He was a millionaire, all these things. He had won like online player of the year. And on the same side of the coin, whenever you have a, a fairly big score of like, like you said 9K, it's hard to bitch to people about only winning 9K – but the pain is real. Like there is real pain and suffering there. But people are generally not very un- understanding of that situation. Non-poker people anyway. Yeah, I think poker people understand quite well, especially those who play a lot of bigger tournaments. I thought of an instance as actually maybe the most painful upon reflection. And this actually applies to both of us. Um, I have a college roommate and friend and who's now Jonathan's friend. His name is Mitch Towner. And he won the Monster Stack in 2016. For $1.1 million, which happened to be a year that we both decided to not go to the series. We took a year off from the series. The only year I haven't gone since 2006. Yeah, it's not, I haven't been going as long, but it's similar for me. And um, apparently there was an investment window at the end of day one where one of our good friends got to invest at like a 2x markup at the end of day one because it was a friend deal, even though Mitch was going into day two as like a top 10% stack. And he got 5% of 1.1 million that I would have also certainly gotten yeah. had I been standing right there. So that one hurt a little bit yeah, too. That, that was a little painful. That's yeah. true. Goodbye, 50K. Yeah. 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 Coming back to what you were saying though, Brad, like I'm thinking about even uh, in the World Series of Poker main event a few years ago when John Sin won and he was heads up with Tony Miles and Tony, who won like $4.6 million or something like that. After, because he Johnson busted him and Johnson Johnson flopped like three kings or three jacks, whatever it was, because he had king jack and like took five minutes to call on the turn when when Miles went all in for I don't really know why, but whatever he was making sure I, I it was it was it was a long time it was a bit of a nit roll but fine um, and Tony Miles was kind of bitter about it for a solid day where he tweeted something he said something to him right away he said things later on and eventually tweeted like an apology a very reasonable apology but part of what he's saying was like how painful it was to finish second and all this stuff when it's like dude won 4.6 million and is like feeling the pain of it and like how rough is that where like it's it's better to get it's emotionally anyway for a little while it's better to get knocked out right away than or early on than like to win second place now obviously once you get past the first day of pain of that or so then you're emotionally really happy with one second place but still it's kind of crazy how that works yeah it's that's the nature of poker tournaments there's a bunch of unhappy people and one super happy guy or or girl sitting there at the end that's just that's always like i'm a cash game player so i've primarily only played cash but that's my experience in tournaments is i'm never happy unless i win which almost never happens yeah, it's really it's hard. It's really to win. hard to win. Yeah, that's a hundred percent accurate. And I think it's especially painful for players who mostly play cash and only play a few special tournaments every year because those are like 
you know, a big opportunity or kind of like a fun, different thing that you're doing, especially if you have a deep run, I imagine for a guy like you who plays mostly cash, it hurts a little bit more. It probably, it probably does, especially because I'm not conditioned to deep runs and falling flat on my face, like right at the finish line. Whereas a lot of these guys play in, you know, a thousand tournaments a year online and you know, whatever they've, they've placed 30th a thousand times, so they don't care. Yeah. So you guys, so what's some common poker advice you hear that you completely disagree with? Oh, that's a cool question. Uh, well, I think there's some pretty classic, simple ones. Like, um, if like, don't call without a made hand, like that type of thing, you know, like never call an all in without a made hand, you know, like you can't call with your King queen of spades and the Jack 10, four, two spade board type of advice, because people don't understand that equity is more important than current hand ranking. So I guess that's a classic one. I mean, I think I don't know who came up with this originally, but like I'm all about bankroll management and I'm very risk averse. But I don't think I ever like had the kind of bankroll that in the old days they said you had to have to be able to move up a level. I used to say you had to have like a hundred buy-ins or something like that to move up a cash game level, which is absolutely bananas. Like if you're lose if you're down fifty buy-ins at a cash game level, you should probably drop down. You don't need to lose a hundred, you know? Um so I never had a bankroll like that. And I was, you know, like, I feel like you don't need to do that. If, if you're going to lose, you're going to lose anyway. And that sucks. But like, then get better at poker and drop down or stay at the level you're at. Um, if you're like, it's fine to take shots and it's fine to move up without having, you know, a million dollars in the bank to like move up a level. Like you, you can have 20 buy-ins and move up. You just have to be careful and like, not be the kind of person, this is, I guess, the, the problem for a lot of people, not be the kind of person, though, like, if you go into a big losing streak, you just stop caring and throw, and throw good money after bad. Like, you have to be disciplined enough to, to not do that. Yeah, the Mike Caro's threshold of misery, where you mm-hmm. no longer feel it. But, I, like, everybody that I've interviewed, or not interviewed, but people that I talk to, books that I've read, I feel like people's words are not congruent with how they actually play the game. So they say 100 buy-ins, but I 100% know lots of these guys have nowhere near that many buy-ins when they're taking a shot or just in their regular game. And to be frank, if you are a world-class or a great player, you can be more liberal with your bankroll if you have relationships with people and you can get staked or whatever it is. Like there's opportunity to to stay in action. So right. it's actually could be detrimental to be too much of a bankroll nit in some situations. I 100% agree. Um, that seems like it just is an unattainable bankroll management system it's to insane. try to do like the Chris Ferguson way. Or is, was it he who came up with it back in the day? I don't think it was Chris Ferguson. I think okay. it was somebody else, but it's totally insane. And I can understand more for at least tournaments because tournaments are swingier and you can really, you know, you can go a long time oh, yeah. without, without doing well in tournaments. Um, but if you're a cash game player and you're a profitable cash game player, I guess you could have a style. There are some people who have such high variant styles that maybe they could go on a 15 buy-in downswing or a 20 buy-in downswing. But that's really hard to do if you're a profitable cash, cash game player, I think. Sometimes, I know that like at the commerce and I haven't played live in four or five years uh, in any you know, sustained, sustained function. But uh, some games are uncapped. So you can play 10, 20, no limit, and you get in the game for 10,000 or 15,000, and you can go broke that way. Uh, so that's, that's an easy way to lose you know, 10 buy-ins. You buy in for 20K, and then you get stacked. But like, I think in a 5, 10 game, 
50 buy-ins, like that's a shitload of buy-ins. Like that's a, amount. a lot of money and it's, it's pretty hard to go on a 50 buy-in downswing playing live poker in my opinion. Yeah, if you're any good for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I used to be a limit hold'em pro, so it's different. But I think the biggest downswing I ever went... I mean, I have, a, I, have a pretty, I have a pretty solid game and would play against relatively... I mean, I, I, it wasn't a really good game for many, many years. But I don't know if I ever went on any more than like even a five or six buy-in downswing. Like, because it's just... I guess, I guess online I did. But, um, but live, I just, it just didn't happen. Partially because people were bad enough. The pots were always so big that like, even when I was running bad, I would win enough pots that it would like, and the pots were bigger than they were supposed to be. And it, it worked out fine. Yeah, I've, uh, I believe my biggest downswing online is 23 buy-ins. And that's for, you know, 16 years, my entire career. It's time for Balanced Ranges, the game where you get to decide whether my Chasing Poker Greatness guest is bluffing or telling the truth. Here's how it works. I'm going to ask them 10 rapid-fire questions, and they can either A, tell the truth, or B, try to run a bluff. If they fool you with a bluff, they get three points. If you think they're bluffing and they're really telling the truth, they get two points. And if you read them like a book, they get bupkis. 24 hours after each new episode releases, I'll be dropping Twitter polls where you get to cast your vote. Simply follow at Enhance Your Edge to join the fun. One more time, that's at Enhance Your Edge on Twitter. And now balanced ranges all right question number one ready yep invisibility or super strength invisibility last halloween costume pirate texting or talking talking favorite childhood tv show friends What's the fastest speed you've ever driven a car? 148 miles per hour. (laughs) That's very specific. Yep. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? No. Favorite ice cream flavor? Mint chocolate chip. Favorite season? Summer. Okay, number nine. What type of milk do you put in your cereal? Almond. (laughs) Final question. What's the best age? 21. (laughs) All right. All right. You're disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, which one was disgusting? Jonathan, here we go. Invisibility or super strength? Super strength. Last Halloween costume. Amish guy. (laughs) Texting or talking? Texting. Favorite childhood TV show? Super Friends. Number five, what's the fastest speed you've ever driven a car? 93 miles an hour. (laughs) How many pull-ups can you do in a row? Seven. Have you ever worn socks with sandals? No. What's your favorite season? Winter. Winter? 
what type of milk do you put in your cereal? I don't eat cereal. Mm, tricky. What's the best age? 33. <laughs> All right. So if you guys could erect a billboard that every poker player had to drive past on their way to the casino, what would that billboard say? Huh. That isn't an advertisement for our book. Yeah, right? <laughs> I would say you should buy How Can He Fold by the poker guys. It'll change your life. It'll make you a better person. Yeah. Um, let's see. I, w- I guess uh, I, I would want people to stop doing all the things that annoy me. So I, I'd have a billboard that say, like, stop this behavior and have like four or five bullet points. Like, you know, quote, you play that crap, end quote. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Card funerals. I'd love it if people would stop having card funerals, which for those of you who don't know is when you get to showdown, the other player shows and you know you've lost and you sit there and you don't do anything for a very long time because you're sad that you've lost rather than muck your hand and let everyone move on with their lives because we're playing a game and it's like you're just wasting everyone at the table's time. I've seen that so much. I'd love for that to stop. That's a long billboard. You're gonna need well, I'm just going to say card, card funerals and they're going to know what I mean. Yeah, sure. I think uh, for me, I would, in a more general sense, I would say don't go play poker just for an excuse to get mad. Because I feel hmm. like a lot of people go play live poker for a reason to find something to complain about, to find a way to be running bad, to find a, a person to call stupid. And I don't think that's everybody, but I think there are a lot of people in the poker playing population who whether or not they're aware of it, are kind of seeking that out when they go to play poker. I like that. I think like poker is such an emotional game that things get amplified. And that's always to me, you know, a person's outward response to things is a reflection of their internal suffering or how they feel on the inside. So it just, for people that are not accustomed to being able to control their emotions very well, who maybe don't play cards that much, if they're suffering on the inside and they, you, you, throw gasoline on that fire by them losing a bunch of money. It's just natural human instinct to go absolutely apeshit. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like I see a lot of regulars who I see play all the time and this is not professional players, but just regulars who play daily, who every day I see them get mad at somebody or at their luck or something. And I know that could just be a sign of general misanthropy, but it's, I, I feel like they're using poker as a way to express all of their anger instead of as a way to have fun or to try to win some money. Yeah, I've never thought of it that way, but very well could be the case. I mean, an outlet in a place where it's weird because poker ta- poker has this weird dynamic where those types of players generally don't get reprimanded for their mm-hmm. actions because they're typically the whale. Like nobody's yeah. so they get away with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's no social blowback so that could be that could play a part of it too yeah i agree with that all right a couple more questions if you guys could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker jonathan i know you already have your answer here uh what would it be you can't choose the same answer twice by the way so no card funerals change one thing about poker yeah Uh, i mean this is unsustainable and not a realistic answer but i would say remove all of the rake Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah. Sure, why not? Yeah. Why not? That's a good answer. 
I mean, that would be great if yeah. we could do that. I guess it's a magic wand, so why not? I was thinking of something that was maybe more... It's just like all doable. of the casinos suddenly just really, really... <laughs> They want to just support the poker community. They'll make their money in the other games. Poker's rake-free because we love you guys, you know? If I could wave my magic wand, I would make it so in tournaments, every tournament in the world, you could say whatever you wanted about the contents of your hand or your opponent's hand when you were heads up, and you could expose either one or both of your cards. It's so dumb that you can't. Like It is so ridiculously absurd that that's not a part of the game because like we were saying before when Grant called me a douchebag, uh, or maybe no, it was that's, a dick. That, it was a dick. Yeah. yeah. Grant called me a dick. Like I would never call you a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, that's that's way okay. too yeah. over the line. <laughs> too 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 far. Um, yeah, I mean it's gamesmanship. It's part of the game. It, it, when I was learning about playing cards, like this is entertainment. This is what people want to see, and it, in my opinion, they want to participate. And so it's just an overreach by whoever's making these rules to, you know, quote unquote, protect. Like I, I've heard just all sorts of things where like if somebody pushes their chips forwards a little bit, then that should be like declared in action. And like there's so many overreaches, I think, in the live poker world that, you know, make the game fun, make it entertaining, keep the right. gamesmanship and just move on, you know? I mean, thinking back to like the World Series of Poker main event, like Jamie Gold, for all his faults, he talked a lot, and he was great TV as a result. Yeah. Wilkosuf was not great TV, but they, they basically stopped letting him talk at the times when he would have been great TV. Like when he was trying to convince that woman to fold, and he ultimately did. And he's like, if you show your hand, I'll show mine. And, trying to, and they like wouldn't let him do anything at all. And they gave him penalties for trying to talk to her while she was trying to make her decision as if somehow that's problematic instead of wonderful Look, and I, like I, exciting and, and fun and interesting. So I'm pretty sure John sends a commerce regular. Like his yeah. face, his face is recognizable to me. I have no idea who's won the World Series of Poker for like the last ten years. I don't really keep up with tournament poker. I know who will. It's Will Kasif. Kasuf, yeah. Will Kasuf. I know who Will Kasuf is because of his banter. I obviously know Jamie Gold is. I've actually I've played against Jamie Gold, and he really does talk like that, even when the cameras are not on. Unfortunately, every hand <laughs> takes a freaking eternity. But why do I know who these people are? Because they were entertaining. Like even as a villain, you need villains. Like I think Phil Helmuth, for lots of people, was a villain. And that makes for good TV. He's a character. You want to, you don't want to see dude in hoodie taking 10 minutes a hand and being a robot the whole time. Like that's not good TV. That's not good for poker. It's just not good. Yeah. And being generally dismissive of the people who aren't as good as that player, you know, that that's a, it's a bad trend in poker in general. I mean, and the new wave of poker players who are playing on TV, you know, who are the, so good. They're all so incredibly skilled and smart and impressive, you know. Most of them don't have a whole lot of personality. And that's okay. They don't all have to. But like Scott Seaver has personality. And I'm hard-pressed. to. Phil Locke has personality. Does he really count though anymore? Charlie Carroll. Charlie Carroll's got personality. Yeah. There's not too much out there. And so... The only people who are watching these things are people who really love poker already, and that's fine, but it means you can't grow an audience. And so the boom we had in 2003 and 2004 because first Chris Moneymaker happened and then all the things literally leading up to Jamie Gold has, has really quieted. And there's a lots of reasons for that, of course. But I think one of them is that it's not like people who don't really understand the game are not interested in watching it because nothing is happening most of the time. Right. Like the last generation of pros was like, the the full tilt guys, you know, like Daniel Negreanu and Antonio Esfandiari, guys you want to be at the table with, yeah. they're fun. 
And now it's guys who just spent 28 straight hours studying like one hand in a solver to play each spot exactly perfectly and are not willing to talk to you because they're doing so many calculations in their head and kind of think of you as a number to defeat. And it, that that's not fun. It's not fun, but I mean, let's let's face the facts though, guys. There's not much incentive to have a personality at the poker table. They're playing yeah. for millions of dollars. What's the incentive for them to be personable, maybe give up some EV so that it makes for better TV, right? Like yeah. There is some incentive, but I'll, I'll grant you it's hard to pull off. So like Daniel Negreanu built a brand on his personality. I mean, I know he's very successful, but but he is admittedly an outlier, right? But there aren't it's too many congruent. Guys who pull it off. He, he's also talking to gain information, right? He's, he's playing yeah. a, the game within the game. And so I, I think that contributes to what he's, he does specifically. That's fair. Yeah. And I think you're right in general, especially when we're talking about watching these guys play and, you know, a 501k cash game or a 100k buy-in, they're certainly going to be giving up some edge if they're attempting to have a personality. It's not worth the potential branding that could come down the line. At the same point, it's tough to know what to do about it. But I think Jonathan's 100% right that like, the main event is so much less entertaining than it was 10 years ago to watch because you don't have Havad Khan like, right. freaking out and thumping his chest and doing all this stuff and being successful at the same time because all of the best players are typically solver guys who are going to spend a lot of time on all of their decisions, make good sound decisions and not all, and also not play crazy, which is kind of why I think we win was a really popular main event winner because he played crazy, you know, and that was fun. And he was, he was great for the game. So yeah, to Jonathan's point, I wish people like that could win more often, but of course, as people get better and better, it's going to be harder for people like that to win. A few years ago, Tesla gave away all of their proprietary stuff on electric cars to everybody. They just gave it away. And there was a lot of question, uh, at least from some folks, about like, why would you ever do that? Like, You spent all this time building this, this company, um, so much R&D, so many millions upon millions of dollars of R&D to develop this stuff, and you're going to give it to you know, GM and Ford and everybody. And they did. But the reason why they did it is because they were trying to grow the pool. Rather than own 90% of the electric car pool that's tiny, they were happy to own 5% of a monstrous electric car pool if everyone did it. And then the world turned into a place where electric cars were common. And I think, while I understand this is asking a lot of, and I, wouldn't really, I don't really expect this to happen, but like if, if some of these players who are going to be around, like Charlie Carroll is a good example of someone who is doing this, but um, the guys who are going to be around and going to be there year after year because they're so darn good, um, if they could work on having a bit of personality or showing their personality maybe even a bit more, they are potentially giving themselves an opportunity to grow the pool. And so if the World Series of Poker is, much, is watched by many more people, that changes the game for a guy like Jason Kuhn, who right now has a very strong brand within a, a super like, subsect of poker viewers, and that's it. But if he has a, a personality, like my mom could know who he is. And that, that opens up incredible opportunities for him down the line. You know, Dan Grindr gets to be in all these movies. Johnny Chan gets to be in all these movies. But Scott Siever is not going to be in any movies, I don't think. You know, and Jason Kuhn's not going to be in any movies. And there's lots of reasons for that, admittedly, not just what I'm talking about. But having more personality is, will help the game. Now, it's just, that's just one tiny pebble and it would have to be like an avalanche of things, of course, to grow it the way I'm talking about. But that, that's how you get like people watching on ESPN beyond the hardcore poker audience. Yeah, like I said, it's an incentive game, right? And if there's a professional poker league that pays people 
a million dollars to travel around the country and play cards or whatever it is, then there is there's becomes this incentive for people to show their personality, to make the game more fun. Right now, there's really not, you know. What what is what does Jason Kuhn care about a hundred thousand dollar endorse uh, sponsorship deal or even I mean he probably cares about sure. five five hundred thousand but even five hundred thousand is not like life changing for him it's just it's an extra little piece of the pie so you're right what do you do you you show more personality playing in like Triton's big game when you're five hundred k deep. Not if you think you're going to no. give up any edge. I can understand why he wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it either in that, that no spot. But that's the problem. I would. No chance right, I would. No chance That's the problem. No, I think, uh, I think you're definitely right, Brad. But it, it still doesn't change the fact that it kind of sucks. you know. But it's just kind of an intractable situation that we're in here. As the game became more and more math-oriented, GTO solvers, all this stuff, it's just going to keep going further and further this direction as people try to emulate essentially what a computer would do. And I think that is problematic for picking up new viewers. And I don't think there's an easy solution due to the incentives. There is a, a breakout star. There is a domino effect too that comes into play. And this, this should be more incentive, I think, for the Jason Coons of the world is that when people see people acting a certain way on TV, they internalize that. And then they go to the card room and they try to emulate that, which creates this army of robots. And anybody can see how that chain reaction is just not going to be good for the long-term health of poker. We're already there. I mean, yeah. the amount of times of playing, you know, in, in games like tournaments or cash games where people take way too much time where they're always folding and stuff like that because they think they're supposed to because like sort of what you're talking about, they, they see this is what other players are doing. Now, the other players on TV are probably thinking, should I three bet here? Can I steal this? But that's not what these guys are doing. These guys are just sitting there waiting to fold and just, waiting yeah, longer than they have to for thinking no about damn reason what they're going to have for dinner later tonight yeah. and, so like, rough. butterflies yeah. like there there's there's nothing going on there the wheels oh. are not turning they're just wasting everybody's life yeah I hate there's, it. there's a lot of copycat i mean I, I feel like i can like see the progression of what is considered cool and playing poker makes you look like a good player like Five years ago, if you had a big river decision or if a player who seemed like a good player had a big river decision and looked at their cards, they were always folding pretty soon after that, like in the middle of the river decision. Now, I've noticed, like, because I always get that little rush of dopamine when that happens, when the guy looks at his cards like, oh, good, I'm going to get the bluff through, right, if I'm bluffing. But now I have to tell myself, no, if this guy's a good player, he's just doing that because he's going to think for another two minutes and then it's still a 50-50 decision. And that's completely <laughs> changed. And it's just because it's like kind of trendy to look at your cards in the middle of a decision on the river these days. And there's like a cool way to fold kind of, kind of like floppy hand fold, I guess is what I would call it. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> I have like, no idea what you're talking oh, about now. I'm well, lost. You'll, you'll notice the floppy hand fold if you ever play live again. <laughs> you'll notice it. The floppy hand fold. Yeah. Um, yeah, like like I said, I haven't played live poker in a while, so the trends are a little bit lost on me. But I, I don't understand the look back at the cards. Like the only time that I look back at the cards, typically on big river spots. If I have a big, if if somebody shoves, I do double check, like in a massive sure. pot, to make sure, like, oh yeah, I do have what I think I have. Other than that, like you should pretty much know what you have, right? I don't know the yeah. benefit of looking back. Yeah, I agree with that. All right, so two more questions. What wisdom would y'all like to share with the Chasing Poker Greatness audience who are hell-bent on realizing their poker dreams? That's a tough one. It might take a second to come up with a good answer on that one. Well, we edit this show, so yeah. oh, <laughs> you can take all the good. time we you want. We can take a little time. That's yeah, great. We don't have to be on all the time. It's amazing. I like that. Yeah. 
Okay. I, I have I have something anyway. Uh, my advice would be to have a group of people you talk poker with regularly. Um, one of the things Grant and I do, I mean, we talk poker multiple times a week anyway. We talk like high-level hands. We have a solver we'll sometimes you know, get into and look at stuff with. Um, we wrote this book where we got deep, deep, deep into 37 different hands, like kicking stuff around. If you do, like having a, a, even a small poker community where you can say, okay, here's a hand I played. What do you think about these different spots and these different decisions? So unbelievably helpful. Um, there's, I think, especially in No Limit, there's just so many spots where, because you can make any decision in No Limit, you know, you can bet so little or so much or anything in between. Uh, being able to really bounce that off people who you respect, whose thought process you respect, is just so valuable. And sometimes, I'll have a decision and I'll be told that was just wrong. Or sometimes I'll be told, gee, I don't, I wouldn't know what to do there either. And, and I, and I felt the same about both those decisions, like where I'm just not sure. And it turns out my, the people who I respect sometimes think it's very clear and sometimes really don't. And it's a useful thing to be able to start to understand why this was clear to them and something else isn't. And poker is such a mind fuck in that you can do the wrong thing and get rewarded. And then the wrong thing gets embedded in what you're trying to do, which is obviously not good. So you have to have that outside feedback to say, hey, yo, I, I understand that you bought a scratch-off ticket and you won $500. That doesn't mean buying the scratch-off ticket was a plus EV play, right? Yeah. So, right. and two, you know, I, a lot of people watch poker videos, uh, cash game video, they see Jason Kuhn make a decision and then they think, oh, I need to be check raising the river here when I have a gut shot and one overcard. And like they just apply this heuristic across the board without knowing a thousand different variables that all come into play when that decision's being made. And, and so you you know, you need to know the why. Uh, I know you guys <laughs> mentioned Matt Berkey, but solving for why is actually very, very, very important in poker. And it's can be a lot of times extremely difficult without having a community. And you kind of set me up here because uh, I'm launching a thing on Enhance Your Edge. That's the Poker Power Hour, Wednesday nights, doing a one-hour webinar, masterclass, or hand history analysis. So y'all hop in that uh, Chasing Poker Greatness podcast listeners, and you can get some feedback and join a community, and that's going to be every single week. That sounds like a good resource. I mean, and I totally agree with Jonathan. Uh, I come up with I came up with a little bit of wisdom, which is, is a bit to our earlier discussion. Uh, be willing to take breaks if if you feel like you're playing poorly, or even if you're just losing and you don't know if you're playing poorly or not, and you're not enjoying yourself. You, I think you need to be willing to take breaks, or else you're going to burn out. Or if you feel like you can't take a break because you need money for rent, because that's the only way you make money, then you might need to rethink being a professional poker player. If you don't have the ability to take a one week break every once in a while. So I think like if you ever feel any hint of of needing a break, don't feel like you have to play all the time just because that's what you normally do. Yeah, to to Grant's point, something I have t- learned to tell myself um, back in the days when I mean I, I almost never tilt, um, but back in the day I used to tilt a lot. You know, in the early days of playing, um, but. Something I've really, really like deeply got in my bones now is these games aren't going anywhere. Like this game's going to be here tomorrow. It's going to be here the next day. I don't have to play it right now. It's okay if I'm not at my best to just get up and leave. I can play another time. And that could mean 10 minutes from now. That could mean an hour from now. That could mean two weeks from now. Um, but like I'm trying to play my A game and I'm not, I'm not trying to bring my C game and, and stick in there with my C game, which I see people do a lot. And I think that's a big mistake. 
and definitely live poker is moving at like a tortoise's pace compared to online. It's the game it changes much, much, much more slowly. So live poker is going to be good for the foreseeable future for those of you yeah. that have the opportunity to go to a casino. That is, yeah, that seems to be the case for sure. I, hard to imagine otherwise. Let's plug the book one more time. Any, any, right. any last words on the book before we um, call it? We think it's a great book. How about that? <laughs> I mean, we, we actually, we spent a year writing it and we are really proud of it. And as Jonathan said earlier, we've gotten some really nice feedback from the people who have bought it. Are they different hands than the ones you go over on your show? S- some of them are, some of them aren't. Yeah, uh, um, although it's all looked at through a 2019 lens uh whereas like 2020 you know, yeah there's some hands in there that we did in 2014 or 2015 that our analysis has changed completely also the analysis is kind of the best that we have to offer analysis wise because we spent a year doing this we edited the book like 10 times we really made sure unlike our podcast where we just do <laughs> one take and say what we say um this is like really the best we have to offer analytically mm-hmm. um and we think that is a good great way to learn and we do think it's fun so fun learn good also, um, you guys are thinking like, well, how do I know this is any good? We, uh, we sent in a few sample chapters to Car Player Magazine and they liked it enough that they're carrying excerpts of the book uh, as of even at this recording. There's already, it's already in the current issue of Card Player. And there's going to be, I think, five issues at least of Card Player where they're going to have a, like a two-page chapter yep. uh, from the book. So... And if we you, did, they were very excited about it. They were. And if you want to see if it's for you on Amazon, you can do a sample. Uh, I think it's 14 or 15 pages or something. It should be enough for Maybe. you to get a, an idea of how the book is. And why not give it a shot? Take a look and see if you want it. You're going to want it. It's yeah. great. How Can He Fold? That is what it's called. Subtitle? Uh, incredible poker hands broken down decision by decision. <laughs> there was a while on the podcast when we were talking about this book and I would say incredible decisions broken down poker hand by poker hand. Yeah, or some <laughs> version of yeah, that. Yeah, I kept changing it every time, but it's, yeah, it's book cancer. And I'm sure it's a great read. I have not read it yet myself, but as these things in poker are concerned, typically a book is such a small investment in, into is such a small investment that could lead to plus EV gains down the line. Yeah. Like 20 bucks is absolutely nothing when you're talking about learning something that can be invaluable in a pot. That's thousands of dollars. Like why wouldn't you avoid that mistake and check out the book? Yeah, it's, all, it's been said many times about poker books that if you get one thing that you're going to use out of a poker book, it was worth it. And our book, if you play tournaments, are really no limit at all. Um, it's almost impossible not to get several useful things that I think would apply to um, almost anyone's game. Maybe not Christoph Vogel saying and yeah. Jason Kuhn, but but everyone else's game um, from the home game hero to guys who play professionally. And um, travel every year for the World Series, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Hey, that's the name of my upcoming poker course, by the way. Home Game Hero. Oh, um, nice. Good name. <laughs> uh, final question. Where can the audience find you on the interwebs? Uh, well, if you type the poker guys into Google, you'll, you'll get a lot of stuff there. Um, the YouTube channel is the poker guys. The podcast is called the breakdown poker podcast with the poker guys. Uh, those are the two main places to find us. The podcast is as described earlier and on the YouTube channel, we currently have shorter videos that are the same hands that we've done a, a podcast analysis of, but it's a concise version with obviously the hand is shown to the viewer and we also have Poker Time, which is uh, one hour a week of a uh, cash game, 510 game that we do commentary on. And yeah, those are the best places to find us. 
Very nice. I've, uh, I'll put the link to the book and to the website and to the YouTube on the show page when the episode gets released, so you can click through from there. Guys, I've very much enjoyed having you on. It's been a pleasure. Let's do this again maybe five years down the road when <laughs> book, sounds book, book sounds number good. two comes out. <laughs> that right sounds on. about right. We appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. See y'all. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you haven't yet subscribed to the show, please take a moment to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. And once again, I wanted to let you know about PKC Poker. If you're on the lookout for a new poker platform where the games are safe and secure and the action's amazing, head to EnhanceYourEdge.com slash Pod to get your code and jump into the games. You must have a code to play as well as be 21 years of age or older. One final time, that's EnhanceYourEdge.com slash PKCPod. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time on Chasing Poker Greatness.